You know, one of the most fascinating things that happens when you live in a different country is it gives you a reference point for your own culture. And so here's what I mean. Uh, my wife and I and our kids spent five years in Abu Dhabi, which is in the Middle East and a very global place. And when you live in a place like that, where I was passing a church that had literally dozens of nationalities, um, it really helps you understand yourself and your own culture better than before you moved there. And so things that you take for granted, that you would think that are just normal, well, in other countries, guess what? That's not normal. So, for example, it's pretty normal for kids to eat peanut butter, right? Normal. It's normal to eat things like Frito pie, right? That's, that, that's pretty normal. It's normal for us to watch football, but we define football. The rest of the world doesn't know what that is. They say, why, why would you call it football if it's weird-shaped ball and you never even use your feet to play they're like what they call football is what we call soccer. And, and they eat weird things like Vegemite. Yeah, look it up. I promise. Australians love Vegemite. They drink tea called Ruibos, that's South African. And they, they eat things like dates, which, by the way, I love dates. But they eat shawarma. Like, there's just different things that you're like, what? I promise. Things that we consider normal, like the rest of the world, by and large, doesn't eat oatmeal. Now, they do eat porridge, but not oatmeal as we know it. It's just a different thing. And so, like, peanut butter, only Americans eat that, like, globally, I promise. And, and what happens is, as you live in different places, you begin to realize, oh, okay, so things about myself and my culture that I just take for granted, other people have no clue about, like guns. The rest of the world doesn't understand why would every Texan need four guns? Like, why? Why, why do you need more than, why need one at all? Like, most of the world just, the people don't own weapons, and yet Texans love their guns and fighting that football, and this is just part of our culture. Now, the reality is that all of us are going to bring cultural baggage into our faith. Love it or hate it, the reality is all of us have a cultural context. And so when you live overseas, you also realize just how independent and free-thinking Americans really are. Why we're accused of being arrogant. I'm like, no, we're not arrogant. We're just Texan. Like, it, it's just the best country in the world. Texas is, by the way. So... So it's, no, it's not arrogant. It's just truth. That's all it is. But we're, we're perceived in this way on, on a global scale. And, and what happens to us as very independent, free-thinking leaders of the free world is when we talk about certain subjects like the kingdom of God, oh, we have no context for that. Like we have no idea from a cultural standpoint we have no clue just how much being an American, being a Texan, no less, impacts how we think about things in the Bible. And now other countries, they understand kingdom. They understand the chief. They understand the sultan. They understand the ruler. They, under, they, they understand that now maybe it's a negative experience, but they know what it's like to be under a kingship, to have a sovereign. 
And yet, Americans, for better or worse, this is just our lot. This is something that we struggle with. So we need to beg the Spirit of God to open our minds and to help us to overcome our our own cultural hang-ups and understand that the Bible reveals Jesus as the King and that we are members of a kingdom. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And so we might be disadvantaged because of our culture to understand that, and yet it is our call to trust God and to let him do a work in our hearts and to know that Jesus truly is king. So as we complete this series this morning on how a God who is unstoppable, we're considering that there is a kingdom that is unstoppable. The kingdom of God is not stoppable. And we are made for this. Like God designed us for his kingdom. So all of God's purposes are centered upon establishing a kingdom. And so from Genesis to Revelation, what you see in one of the unifying themes, we've looked at several in this series, is how God is establishing a kingdom. And so that is the primary truth for this morning, is that God's purpose is to establish his kingdom. So we're going to look at this from many different places in the Bible. Let's, let's begin as we have the last few weeks in the beginning Genesis chapter 1, on the establishment of God's kingdom. Genesis 1. What you see as you look up Genesis 1 is God created us to reflect his glory. Verses 1, or verses 27 and 28 rather. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And here's the key, and have dominion. Dominion refers to being a king. Have a kingdom, have rule, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing. Hear that every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, let's note the sequence here in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. First, you have purpose. And so God created with the purpose, and we're referred to as being in the image of God. So that captures our purpose. We exist to reflect the character and the glory of God. So all of our thoughts and our desires, our words, and our actions are designed to be a reflection of, of the glory of God. And that's what it means to image God. So you see purpose, and then you see blessing. So it says that God blessed them. And so we have the joy of delighting in God. So we accomplish the purpose of imaging God, reflecting him. We accomplish that by delighting in him and in his blessings. So the very enjoyment of God is worship, is glorifying to him. And so what God wants here is relationship. 
He's creating Adam and Eve to know him, to enjoy him, and then in so doing, to reflect his glory as his image bearer. So you see purpose, and you see blessing, and you see dominion. So you see the kingdom of God right here in these verses. So Adam is given authority over all of creation. He's given a kingdom to rule over and then to advance so that the world will be covered by people who worship the king. And so this puts who we are as humans in biblical context. So God's goal is his glory. This is what God is after, is creating a people. Like we saw in week one of this series, God's plan is to create a people who enjoy his presence and display his glory. Well, now we're seeing that this people that he is calling to himself and that he is creating and making new are also a kingdom. So God is revealing more of what what his purposes are and is centered upon him ruling over his people through the head of humanity as the king, filled by a kingdom of worshipers and of God exalters of white-hot worshipers of Jesus. Which is why, if you think about this, why when God created Adam and then he, he gave him this king, he says he gave him dominion, And he says that he blessed him. This is important because this is telling us that God is the source of all blessings. This is key for you and me as we live our lives today. That if we will love and trust and obey God, then blessings flow. Like I teach my children, when you obey, it goes well for you. We use this language, I think, ten times a day. If you disobey, it does not go well for you. This is not a hard equation. This is a very simple equation that we're seeing here rooted in who God is and who we are in Genesis chapter 1. And so you're seeing submission to God, his kingdom, his purposes, his presence. So submitting, yielding, surrendering to God. So submission, we use that word, leads to blessings. And then rebellion leads to no blessings. No bueno. Let me speak Spanish. Not good. And so that's what you see here. Submit to God, blessings, rebellion, no blessings. But if we think about this, rebelling against God makes no sense. And yet we do it. We rebel against God, who is ultimate authority, but he's not just authority. He's your father, and he loves you. So when you rebel against God, you're rebelling against your purpose. It's like a fish that says, I'm done living in the water. I want to experience something new. I want real life. I want freedom from being a fish, having to live in the water. I want to live on the land. Well, he can rebel against his design, but the moment that he gets online, he's going to realize, yeah, I was, I was kind of made for the water. Maybe, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Maybe I should have rethought this before I had this idea. And that's you and me. We were made, we were designed for God to be in his kingdom, to enjoy him. So when we rebel against God, we rebel against our very nature, our purpose, we rebel against his blessings, against his presence, against everything that we're supposed to be, basically what heaven was meant to be, we rebel, and we do it, sadly, 
every day. And yet what we have is the God who loves us. And he says, if you don't live for my kingdom, then you don't get the blessings. And here's why. Because the king wants the blessing of you. Understand this. This is the way this works. God made us for relationship. And so, so God wants you to experience the joy of living in his presence. And God wants the joy, the blessing of having you live in his presence. And so when we rebel, we're rebelling against his joy and his blessings and his presence. God is about establishing a kingdom. Let me give you a few truths. I'll keep this simple as I can. This can be a large subject, but I'll keep it quite simple. Three truths about the kingdom. The first truth about the kingdom is that God's kingdom is opposed by a rival kingdom. Let's just start there. So God's kingdom and the fact that we ourselves tend to rebel, we see that God's kingdom is opposed by a rival kingdom. Genesis 1.1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. So that would include heaven itself. That would include angels. That would include everything that is created. So I don't know exactly when God did that, but at some point in creation, God created an angel called Lucifer. And if you read, it's not on the screen, so I'll just read to some excerpts from Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. This is God speaking to this angel Lucifer. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So you see here, Lucifer, this angel, wanted to be God. He wanted the throne. He wanted the kingdom. He wanted to rule. And so this is a coup. This is, this is a civil war. This is a revolting against the king. Ezekiel 28, a few verses from verses 12 through 17. You are the signet of perfection. You are full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you and you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So you see here Satan's revolt, his rebellion against the throne and setting up a rival throne, a rival kingdom to try to overthrow the kingdom of God, to dethrone God, and to rule over creation. And so he set up the kingdom of darkness. And he has a legion of demons that, according to Revelation 12, a third of the angels fell and have followed Satan. So now he has many fallen angels or demons that do his work trying to dethrone God. He wants to rule this world. But remember something. Adam was given authority over everything that was in creation, including serpents. And so when the serpent came in and invaded the kingdom of God, the rule, the holy space 
that Adam was the king over, that Adam was ruling over, who Adam was supposed to protect his woman and his future children and future humanity and lead us in holiness to worship God, enjoy his presence. When the serpent came in, Adam was out to lunch. Adam was on the golf course. Adam was watching TV. Adam was checking his stocks. Adam wasn't helping his woman. There she was wrestling, trying to understand, and her spiritual covering was not there. He wasn't there. And too many men today follow our father Adam's example. They're not there. They're not protecting their wives. They're not doing what they're supposed to do as men who are designed to be warriors. For our God is a warrior and he's made you men to be warriors. To fight and to protect your family and to fight for your marriage and to fight for purity, to fight against the enemy. Adam should have crushed the head of the serpent right there in the garden. That's what should have happened. But he didn't. He let his wife figure it out all by herself. He rebelled. Understand what was happening spiritually here. When Adam rebelled against God, when he took a bite of that fruit he joined the rival kingdom of darkness. That's what he did. He became enslaved, came under the authority of the serpent. He relinquished his authority, his ruling authority. He gave it up and he gave it over. He gave it to the serpent, who now is called the prince of the power of the air who had the audacity to offer the kingdom back to Jesus because he's currently ruling it. He's, he's ruling this world. And so you had humans now, ever since that point in human history, every human being who is born today is born into the kingdom of darkness, is born into slavery to Satan and to sin and born into darkness with a heart that is twisted and corrupted. This is the reality of human nature of our world today. This world is currently under invasion. It's invaded by a foreign evil power led by Satan and his demons and his dark kingdom. That's not how God meant it to be, but it is the reality of our world today. And so Satan's kingdom is marked by rebellion. So when you see a rebellious spirit, now it's easy to point at your wife or your husband or your kids or your boss or your coworkers, but when we see a rebellious spirit in the mirror, that rebellious spirit is a reflection of Satan because he was the original rebel who rebelled against the goodness of God. His rule is also marked by deception. 
He lied to Adam and Eve. Jesus calls him the father of lies who lied from the beginning. And so Satan is the deceiver. And so when we believe a lie, when you believe that you're worthless, when you believe that God can't use you, when you believe that it's hopeless, when you believe the lies, understand what you're believing. You're believing something satanic because he's the father of lies, the source of lying. So all lies at their essence are anti-Christ against Jesus. They're demonic. They're satanic. That's where it started. The father of lies with Satan. He's a liar. He can't not lie. That's all he can do. That's his nature. He's a liar. That's all he does. He can't tell you the truth. We go against his nature, just like God is truth, and so he can't lie. He only speaks truth. So we believe the truth. But his kingdom is also marked by death. It's marked by death, which is why there's death and disease, why relationships die, why there's divorce. All of this pain that we have is because currently the prince of the power of the air is ruling. So there is despair and there is pain and there's disappointment. And in the end, there is death because Satan is ruling. We have to begin to understand the world that we live in. We live in enemy-occupied territory. Understand this. We are behind enemy lines. There are bombs going off. There are mines all around us. And we need to gather as a troop. This is what we... What do you think Sunday is? Like, do you know what this is? This is the people of God who are the soldiers, his military, that come together to get their marching orders, to know how to go better attack the enemy. Why do you think Satan wants you to stay home on Sundays? Why do you think he fights against you and he gives you all these excuses on why, oh, I was up too late last night. Or, oh, that music isn't my favorite music. Or that preacher goes way too long. (laughs) Or whatever it is. All of the reasons that Satan is using to get you to stay in bed because he doesn't want you mobilized to go attack his kingdom. And that's what this is. This is the gathering of the kingdom of God, the people of God that are on mission, that are in a very real battle in enemy-occupied territory who are being mobilized to go and pierce the darkness. That's what this image is about this unstoppable image is the idea of piercing the darkness. And this is what we do. We pierce the kingdom of darkness. You know, Christianity explains why the world is how it is. Every religion tries to. And yet only the Bible actually gives a reasonable explanation. It explains that we were originally created good, and yet everything is broken. If everything was just happened to be this way, and this is just the way it is, then why would all of us have a memory? 
hardwired into your DNA of Eden. Because you have it. Every one of us knows that this world is not the way it should be. We know, we know that one-year-olds should not get leukemia. That that's not right. We know that 18-year-olds have, should not be dying on the battle for protecting their country. We know when, when grandma gets cancer and she's taken way too early and grandchildren are robbed of their grandmother, we know that is not right. There is something wrong with that. And that should not happen. We know there is something hardwired to us. And so all of us yearn for Eden. We know it exists. Just like that baby who cries, who's, who can't even name milk because there's an infant, and yet cries out because milk must exist because there's a need for it. And the baby just intrinsically knows that there has to be a mom that can't take care of this need. Because moms do exist. Milk does exist. Because God is good. And so when we have this sense of this world is messed up and broken, it shouldn't be this way, guess who put that there? God put that there. All of us have this memory of Eden, and we yearn for it. Our hearts ache for Eden. We yearn for it. All of us even those who don't know Jesus yet, deep in their souls cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We cry out, God, bring your kingdom here. Make all this right. Defeat the enemy. Come conquer King Jesus. His kingdom is opposed by a rival kingdom. Second truth, God's kingdom is unstoppable. You guessed it. His kingdom is unstoppable. You know, in the Garden of Eden, we read this text last week in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, where Adam and Eve had sinned, and then God promises to send a, a son born of a woman who will be the second Adam, the Messiah, the Savior, from last week, unstoppable Savior, who is going to crush the head of the serpent and defeat that dragon. And so Satan has been trying to kill him the whole time. And then we get to the night when he was born in Bethlehem. And I know we love Christmas Eve and we have these warm feelings and we, we sing Silent Night, the baby didn't cry. I don't know why we sing that. He was a baby. He cried. He wet his diaper. <laughs> Fully human, Okay. But we get these like serene images of that first Christmas when the Messiah, the Savior, when the king was born who would defeat the, the dragon. And, and yet, I want to read to you some excerpts from Revelation 12, verses 1 through 8, that describe what was actually happening in the spirit world. Our eyes can't see it, but it's real. What was going on in the spirit world when Mary was giving birth to baby Jesus? The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. You listening to this? 
Satan was right there, ready to pounce and kill baby Jesus so that there would not be a grown man who could eventually crush his head. But she gave birth to a son, a male child. Listen, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, the king. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against dragon and the angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the reality of human nature. This is what we live in. We live in a spiritual battle. And if Satan could not defeat the kingdom of God, he could not defeat Jesus because God's kingdom is unstoppable. And in the Old Testament, the promises that this coming Messiah would also be the king was repeated, that he would be the son of David, the king. And if you look at um, Daniel 7 and 13 and 14 describes that he will have an everlasting kingdom that will never end. And so this is repeated over and over in the Old Testament, pointing to the fact that one day Jesus would be born. And then Matthew chapter 1 calls Jesus the son of David. The king has come. And we are members of his kingdom. So through his life, death, burial, and then victorious resurrection. Those who trust Jesus are now part of his kingdom. You see, the kingdom is not a location. The kingdom is where God is ruling. Where the first Adam failed, the second Adam succeeded. He is victorious, and as we sung, he has conquered, so we can weep no more. Let me read to you from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. It describes the reality of what happens when someone comes to faith in Jesus. Oftentimes we think of it as, oh, I I came to Jesus. Well, yes, you did, but understand exactly spiritually what happened. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. It'll be on the screens. He has delivered us from the domain, domain, that's kingdom, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So again, the kingdom is not a place. It is where God is Ruling, where people that were in the kingdom of darkness have been transferred, set free, made new, given new hearts, and now they're in the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of Jesus. And so whenever someone comes to faith in Jesus, it's a miracle. It's a supernatural thing that only God can do. We can't manufacture that. Only God through his spirit does that. And so the kingdom of God is the people that submit to his kingship, to his rule. People who want to, here's the key, 
People who want to obey. People who joyfully submit to his will and to his presence and to his purpose and to his word. This is who we are. So if you have repented and are trusting in Jesus, then you are a member of the kingdom of God. You're no longer in the darkness. Now you're in the light. So the question is, are you actually allowing King Jesus to rule in your heart? Or do you find yourself rebelling against him? We are called citizens of heaven in 1 Peter. That means that we represent God with how we live. So imagine if someone went to the Olympics, say it was an American, and, and they won gold in a competition. And then they get to go to the podium to receive their gold medal, but they don't really want to wear the U.S. uniform you know, that has the, the flag. They, they really prefer their favorite T-shirt from the rock band. And so they really rather rock a T-shirt instead of you know, their colors. And, and then whenever they're lowering the American flag, the guy's like, no, I'm not really interested in that. You can take the flag down. And then when they're going to play the national anthem, he says, no, 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 no. I really prefer that you um, connect my, my phone um, and play my favorite song instead of the national anthem. Would that be offensive? Very offensive. Why? Because that person represents United States of America. And they should be honored to wear the colors. They should be honored to have the flag waving. They should be honored to have the star-spangled banner play. Because they're American. And they represent their country. You are a citizen of heaven. You represent your country in heaven. A better country. And so how we live is designed to represent heaven. Represent the king. The culture of heaven. Which is what? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The work of the Spirit in us, we begin to reflect God himself. This is what it means to be in his kingdom. And so God's kingdom is opposed by a rival kingdom, but his kingdom is unstoppable and we're a part of it. Number three, as you wrap up, God has a destiny for you to fulfill in his kingdom a destiny, a particular role, purpose for you in his kingdom. Let me give you two words to get your mind around how to fulfill your destiny in the kingdom of God. The first word is fight. Talked about it earlier. Fight against the enemy. Second word is find. Find your role in the kingdom of God. Let me read to you a text out of 1 Peter um, chapter 2. Verses 9 through 10. It's a powerful text that describes our role in the kingdom. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It is on the screens as well. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, so out of the darkness, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So first, God defines who we are. He says that you're, you're holy, and that he says you're a priest, and that you belong to God's people. You've received mercy. So he defines who you are, and he says, in light of that, do this. And he says what? Proclaim his excellencies. Make him known. Represent him well. Find your role in his kingdom in advancing it. And seeing people that are outside the kingdom in darkness be brought into his marvelous light just how we have. You know, when, when we're talking about as a church spreading God's renewal, reaching out into the darkness of, yes, Bell County, and seeing people come into the light, understand exactly what it is that we're doing. We are advancing God's kingdom, and it's Jesus through us, through his spirit. It is Jesus taking back what's his. What's his? His image bearers. People that he made, that he loves, that he lost in the garden, and that he is getting back. And so when we advance the kingdom, what we're doing is taking back ground for the glory of God and it's not it's not ground per se it's people that are brought into the kingdom of God people that are lost in the darkness and it's on us to go and reach them and tell them there's a God who loves you and yes he's a king but he's good and he's victorious so this is our calling it's a calling to fight. Just look around the battlefield. Do you see the casualties? The captives? The lost souls? They're all around us. The stakes are high. This is a life and death battle. So we need to recognize Satan's attacks and Find the courage to rise up and fight for other people. Recognize how Satan attacked. Let me give you a couple of thoughts and we'll wrap up. If you ever have a spirit of despair, what I mean by that is a spirit where you're feeling like, oh man, this is hopeless. If you ever feel like what you're going through is just too much and you have no hope and you just feel this hopelessness and this despair, that is Satan. That is Satan attacking you, and those are lies. There is hope. His name is Jesus. So if you're having a spirit of fear, that's not from the Holy Spirit. Because God's perfect love casts out fear. And so a spirit of fear, that's Satan. A spirit of guilt when you know that it's paid at the cross and you feel this guilt or this shame, that is from the enemy. And you rebuke that and you run to Jesus. You run back to the foot of that cross and you remind the enemy, yes, 
I have been guilty, but God the Father has nailed that through the hands of Jesus onto the cross, and I bear it no more. This is how he attacks us, through despair and through shame and fear and guilt, hopelessness. That's not, that's not from God. So are you fighting? Don't answer that too quickly. Are you genuinely in the fight or have you given up? I talk to people that say, oh, pastor, I'm struggling. And I tell them, I wish you were. And they say, no, I'm really struggling. I'm like, no, you're not. You're just giving in every single time. If you are struggling, that, that would mean that you're actually engaged in the battle, but you're not. You're laying there be getting beaten up rather than stand up and know that you have the Holy Spirit in you and a faith in mean, that will encourage you. Well, you don't have to do this alone. And that's not to call. We do this together. We need each other. I need you. We need one another in this so we serve the church, we serve the world, we serve each other and those that are desperate for him. And so God's purpose is to establish his kingdom. Praise be to God. It's a kingdom that is unstoppable.